This is Tom Vardalitis with the Full-Time Real Estate Photographer Podcast. And with the new year, we're starting a new season. We're going to go do a little Q&A from fans of the podcast, end of the book. And yes, we're talking about the pandemic too. But first, let me reintroduce the show to all of our new listeners and update all of my friends who have followed the show since the beginning. <sighs> okay, it's been a while, huh? More than one year since I published the last episode. So what happened? Well, for starters, the show is not off the air, as you can now hear. And for as long as I'll be in the real estate photography business, I will continue to work on this podcast. But why the break in publishing new episodes? What's the deal? Well, I'm not just a disembodied voice on your phone or in your car speakers encouraging you to take photos of houses. I'm also running my photography business too, just like so many of you. I'm also a man living my life and sometimes life finds a way of throwing unexpected curveballs. For example, right around when the first reports of COVID-19 came out, before we even knew it was COVID-19, I lost my podcast editor. <laughs> Actually, lost is too strong a word. I know right where he is, but he raised his rates on me and I said, screw that, I'll edit it myself. <laughs> well, while I was slowly and painfully working through my last recording that I still haven't published and who knows if I ever will now, we started seeing widespread panic and lockdowns. This is something that I thought was going to kill my business. I was really concerned for a few weeks there in the beginning until I noticed that sales were picking up. I was honestly surprised. This was our busiest year ever, 30% higher in sales month after month in the first quarter of 2020 compared to last year. And it peaked even a bit higher than that as we got into the summer. And I'll tell you what, I was super happy about this, but it was bittersweet because it meant that I now had to work. <laughs> I know, I know, God forbid I have to put a full work week into photo shoots like the good old days. I'm laughing at myself now thinking back on it because I was going home at the end of the day feeling stressed out and tired. But of course I'd be stressed out and tired during my best year ever, right? <laughs> On top of the plague spreading, this year I had some personal troubles to work through as well. I split up with my girlfriend of almost 10 years, and that, on top of just the usual business stress, would have been enough to throw me off the wagon. However, when it comes to time management, I have to focus on income-producing activities. This is what we should all be doing as business owners, right? Find the specific tasks that you can do to keep money coming in in greater and greater quantities as time goes on. Unfortunately, that meant the podcast had to take a seat on the back burner. Uh, there was another factor that left me feeling a little less motivation to push through the stress and record more episodes, and it's all about income. Uh, this podcast does not produce any income for me. No one pays me to make these episodes. I do get royalties from book sales. And honestly, it's an amazingly rewarding experience to be able to help you guys make more money and grow your businesses. But the amount of cash that I make in book sales does not come close to covering the expense of my time and money that goes into producing the show. By the way, if you're new to the show, there is a book and I'll get to that at the end. If we look at income from book sales as the sole source of income from this podcast after taxes and at negative dollars, meaning I'm spending much more than what I'm taking in in order to produce it. Never mind the time commitment. So right around the last episode of season one, I was in serious talks with two sponsors and there was another company that seemed interested, but was probably just kicking tires. I'll be honest with you guys, and at the risk of seeming immature, <laughs> I was really excited about those sponsors. I was banking on their support to help secure my time for this show, but I scared them away with my prices. <laughs> you see, I've been producing this show for free, actually, as I just said, at a marginal loss. 
When I mean I netted negative, I'm not trying to say that this is a huge expense. It's very small, and I'm happy to keep on doing it because I really do love being able to help you guys. It's fun. I like meeting and mentoring people. I like seeing your businesses grow and becoming more successful. Just ask anyone who knows me personally. This also means that I can set my prices and I can stand by them. I don't really need sponsorship income to keep the podcast afloat. I can run it out of my own pocket for the next 30 years and I'll be thankful for the tax write-offs while I do it. So I decided what my value was and I told the prospective sponsors. I wanted to be flexible and work with them, but the sponsorship negotiations just tapered off into nothing. They didn't seem like they wanted to give it a shot. No one said, no, we won't work with you. They just stopped talking to me. <laughs> I didn't back down on price and I didn't get the sponsorship. I'll admit it. The prospect of actually turning a profit from running the show was exciting to me. And when nothing happened, I was disappointed. So I focused on making real money instead. So I hope you aren't too annoyed with me, but I can understand if you are. I'm honestly kind of annoyed with myself for going so long without recording a new episode. Anyway, that's the story. Like I said, I don't really need additional income to produce the show, but in times where I have to choose between taking a new photography appointment or recording a new podcast episode, I'm going to focus on the one which will bring me the most income. Now, if I get enough people who want to reach out and say they want to crowdfund this podcast to help support the show and help me stay on top of publishing new episodes, I might set up a place where you could spend a couple dollars or a Patreon or something, but I'm only going to do it if you guys reach out and ask for it. So if you want to contribute directly to the podcast and have your name mentioned during the show as a private sponsor, let me know. I expect zero people to do this since I'm offering new episodes for free already, but if you feel inspired to give me your money, I'll feel inspired to take it. I wouldn't mind even doing some behind the scenes things like live streaming, recording sessions, chit-chatting with supporters of the show in a special members only area online, for example. Okay, enough of this BS, let's move on. My friends, <laughs> let's get meta for a moment. For all you new listeners tuning in, what is this podcast? We're talking about real estate photography, yes, but there is something a bit different that we do here that I want to point out explicitly before we get further in. I want to make these episodes as dense with information as possible. I'm not very interested in taking up your time to talk about nothing or its functional equivalent. My goal here is to help manifest the results that you are looking for in your business for you. We will get into discussions about less tangible things within our businesses like mindset, setting, reaching goals, dealing with the emotional roller coaster of entrepreneurship. But even with those ethereal subjects, the name of the game in business is action. I want to give you information, then I want you to use it to take physical actions. We can chit chat all day about photography and the wonders of working for yourself, and that's nice. But let's not forget the purpose for working as a full-time real estate photographer. We're making money. <laughs> the function of a business is to generate profits for the owners. As photographers, we're able to take our love and expertise with photography and turn it into money. The lifestyle and the freedom of entrepreneurship can't be beat. You can go out and you can support yourself and your family financially by doing what you love, or for some, myself included, something that you're just good enough at for people to not mind paying you. <laughs> and entrepreneurship isn't just about paying the bills, it's about taking control of your life. No one sets your schedule but you. You are the boss making decisions. It's a wonderful place to be, and if you want to get there with me, I'm here to help. So to help you in the best way I know how, I'm sharing this podcast, and at the end, we'll talk about the book and how to contact me and some other things you might be interested in. These solo episodes, like this one you're listening to right now, where it's just me talking, are scripted. I usually write them out either completely in prose that I read from, like I'm recording an audiobook, like what I'm doing right now, 
Actually, I don't know if this matters, but I went through a very expensive voice acting training so I could be better at reading without it sounding like I'm reading. So let me know if you have any notes on how I could improve there if you hear anything. Sometimes if I'm feeling lazy because writing an hour-long episode means it will need to be a 20-plus page essay, I'll do bulleted or numbered lists and maybe write out a few quotes that I want to be sure not to miss. I do this level of preparation for two reasons. One, it greatly reduces recording time. When I know what I want to say and I have it neatly organized in front of me, I don't have to worry about staying on topic and thinking about the next thing to say while I'm talking. This means less repeating myself, less mumbling or wondering what I might say next. Guys, I gotta tell you, not being prepared and getting in front of a camera or a microphone makes for a brutal recording session. Then there's the extra editing time to sift through all of those useless takes. I feel like that lack of preparation, although it seems like it's 100% easier in the moment, doesn't deliver the quality of content that I'm looking for when it comes to this podcast. Reason number two is because I want to make sure that each episode is going to be good for repeat listening. This is an important lesson that I learned when I was in a Bob Proctor coaching program. If you've been accosted by people trying to sell those kinds of coaching trainings to you, don't roll your eyes. I'm not going to do that to you. I mention it because one of the most important lessons that I learned while I was in coaching is all about repetition. I think the words we used were spaced repetition of content or listening to the same thing again and again over time, reading the same thing over and over. I was taught how to internalize new information and use it to change my mindset, my behavior, and then my results. Repetition is important. And I'll tell you why. You can read a book once and say, okay, I read the book. And if I asked you some questions about the book right when you finished, you could probably give me a pretty good outline of the story and with plenty of details. But how about a week later or a month or a year? The memories fade, but some of the information is just important today as it will be a year from now. If you were only exposed to the information once and maybe even had your attention wane a bit while you were reading or listening or whatever, there might be whole chapters you've forgotten without even realizing it. Now, if this book in the example has information inside that you can use to dramatically change your life, why only read it the one time? You want to internalize the information, make it a part of you. You want to master certain tasks in your business and you want to make profitable behavior habitual. You want your income producing activities to be done automatically, habitually. Why? Because you're trying to make more money. You want nice things. You want financial stability. You want to impress your friends and your loved ones with how effective and capable you are. You want to be proud of your business and the life that you have given yourself. You get there by learning and doing. When you repeat your exposure to the information again and again, you'll memorize it. You'll be constantly engaged with it. And you will be thinking every day about how you can improve your business. This means that you'll be that much sharper and aware of areas in your business that need improvement. You might also discover tricks that you had previously shrugged off or ignored, but then decided to give a shot and find that it has given you a remarkable improvement in your performance. I want to make each episode worth repeat listens so you can internalize the information and use it to change your behavior. It's your behavior that translates directly into profits or losses in your business. And your behavior is driven by the thoughts you think on a daily basis. So let's make each day, no matter how busy, a day of learning. Okay, so the podcast is here to help you. Hooray. And I think it's most effective when you repeat lessons over time to internalize the information. Okay, moving on. I want to answer a few questions that were sent in by listeners of the podcast in this episode. So let's get right into the first one. This is from Tim at Sharper Home Media over in Michigan and Ohio, apparently. Nice job. Tim writes, Quote, hey, Tom, I've been a real estate photographer for about two years now. I was always doing it in my spare time. And since getting laid off in January, I decided to take it more seriously. 
I found your podcast about a month or two ago and have already binge listened to just about every episode. I've listened to specific episodes four or five times already, especially the getting new clients episode. I have read books, listened to podcasts, mulled over hundreds of Reddit forums and YouTube videos, and have been making phone calls, no presentations yet, COVID-19, and am finding getting new clients to be the most difficult aspect. You mentioned at the end of the getting new clients episode, you could go farther in depth on prospecting, and I'm really interested in hearing you do so. I always call and I'm told the agent already has a photographer. I say, that's great. Please keep me in mind. If your photographer is ill, cannot make it, doesn't offer service that I do, or you need to list a house on a weekend or holiday, which I work on and have done several listings in the past, etc. They say, great. I send the email and I never hear anything back. I've got the photography product portion down. I produce photos that my current small clientele love on par with other good photographers around the area, along with video above average quality for the area, drone and a few other services. I have a 24 hour turnaround time. I'm using things like a full frame camera. I'm extremely polite to homeowners. I have a fast response time and answer messages far outside of business hours. I dress well and show up five to 10 minutes early for photo shoots and work quickly on site. 30 minutes, one and a half hour, depending on the packages, etc. I've been recommended by my current clients to some other realtors and have picked up a few jobs from their word of mouth references, but it just doesn't get me enough business. I don't know exactly where I'm going wrong with convincing people to try me out. I feel like if I do a house with a realtor, they often use me a second or third time, but convincing a new client to give me a try is like climbing a mountain. I'll see photos of prospective clients that like a professional may have taken them, but could be better and also terrible photos that a professional could not have taken, but it's all the same story. Thanks, but no thanks. I'd love to hear what you think in either a podcast or a reply if you have time. Either way, thanks for reading and great podcast. I look forward to continue listening in the future. Whew. Tim, thanks so much for the question. This is a dense one. So let's unpack it one part at a time. First off, congrats, man, on taking that leap. I got into real estate after being laid off of a government job, so I can sympathize with you there. That takes a lot of courage to go full-time as an entrepreneur and rely solely on your business income. Orison Sweat Marden said, most of our obstacles would melt away if instead of cowering before them, we should make up our minds to walk boldly through them. Or in plain English, in the face of courage, obstacles melt away. I'm glad you made the plunge two years ago, Tim. You're also on the right track with information gathering. It seems like you are constantly trying to learn, and this is what we all should be doing. Keep a constant flow of information coming in. You never know what one idea will help you grow your business until you hear it and attempt to implement it. You're asking for a little more advice on prospecting for new business, and you cite the number one client response to your cold calls, which is that they already have another photographer. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not alone in that department, my friend. You are getting some referrals, which is good, but you're not satisfied with the amount of referrals that you're getting. I feel that referral business is my favorite. I love it when the money just comes to us of its own accord. Who wouldn't? Now, first, what shall we do about those objections? Cold calling individual realtors is always going to be difficult. Cold calling in general is difficult. I've cold called for real estate photography leads, which was short-lived. When I was a full-time real estate agent, I would cold call for listings. And in a past life, I even opened and managed the cold calling center for a hospitality business. In my experience, it's always been a numbers game you have to dial a very high volume of numbers. In this situation, real estate agents are people who are easy to find contact information for, which might seem like a blessing at first, but let's step back and try to understand the situation here. Real estate agents are constantly being sold to, partly because anyone who wants to sell things to a real estate agent only needs to look them up, there are even places you could go to buy lists of contact info for all the agents in your state. For me, I like broker metrics, but I'm not sure if they allow anyone other than brokers to set up accounts. 
I think I needed to enter my license in that one. They have a really crappy user interface though, and they won't let you sign up directly on their site, but the data is pretty good. You can find it at teradatum.com if anyone's interested in taking a look. Terra, T-E-R-R-A, datum, D-A-T-U-M.com. There are other services out there that you can find. Just Google around for real estate agent lists or something like that in your state. You should find tons of results. Just be sure to properly vet the vendor so you're not getting garbage data. That is a risk that you run when you're buying large lists of contact information. So if real estate agents are getting lots of cold calls and people are often trying to sell them things or services, of course, the reaction on a cold call will be, I'm all set, thanks. <laughs> because they don't want to get stuck on the phone for God knows how long while some dingbat tries to get them to buy something or use some service that they're not interested in. Or in this case, they may actually already have a relationship with another photographer. When I get the no thanks, I already have a photographer, I will never ever try to trash talk the other guy or try to pressure the agent to stop working with the other photographer. I personally don't think it's ethical, but it's also not a good way to start a new business relationship. You don't know if there actually is another photographer. I mean, in some cases it's obvious if they do or not, but you also don't know the relationship that agent has with the other photographer. They might be related like cousins or best friends or something, in which case they will never use someone else just to avoid the dirty looks they'll get on the holiday dinners. <laughs> Sometimes the agent is open to trying someone new, which is where you can come in. But beyond that, here's some things you could say. You could say, I'm glad to hear that. I don't want to interfere with your relationship with the other photographer. So I'd just like to offer our services as a backup in case your photographer ever goes on vacation moves or retires, we are happy to jump in and help as needed. It's a polite end to the conversation. Thank, thank them for their time and move on. If you really don't want to let them go without trying harder than that, offer a promotional price. Give them an incentive to try working with you. Something more substantial than your gratitude would need to be in order. You could say, for first-time customers, we'll provide photography at 20% off and add on free drone photos or floor plans or something. But be prepared to have people take you up on that offer and then never call you again. It is a proven strategy for getting your foot in the door. You could also add something into your pitch about how you can offer a higher quality product or offer some other service that perhaps this competitor specifically does not. In my business, we offer photos, virtual tours, drone, video, websites, the works. So in this case, I'll mention it and even offer our services as a supplement. I'll say, in case your main photographer isn't able to do these things, I thought I'd mention that we do drone. We can make prints of your listing that you can use for closing gifts. We can do virtual staging and virtual tours. If you ever needed just one of these done for your listings, we'll be here for you. And if the agent seems to be paying attention, I'll enhance that list with a story and personalize it a little bit. I'll comment on the prints for closing gifts, for example. I'll tell a real story that one of my clients told me, and I'll tell you now. <laughs> my client called me up after gifting a print to give me a glowing review. He said that, and I quote, these people had more money than God. They could buy anything that they wanted, but when I handed them this print of their family home, they had tears in their eyes, end quote. I usually get good reactions from that one. If I'm trying to sell virtual tours to a rental agent or a landlord, I'll tell them the story of how a client of mine used one of our virtual tours to prove to a judge that the unit was indeed habitable before the tenant moved in and tried to stiff the landlord on rent. Just remember to deliver value. That's what we're doing here. Deliver value and then end the conversation. You are cold calling to find clients not to argue with them. Don't waste your time trying to sell something to someone who is making it clear to you that they aren't buying. The key to getting new clients is not in trying to turn every single real estate agent that you can find into a paying client. You will have much more success by identifying those agents who do want to work with you and focusing on them. Many real estate agents are new and don't know anyone or they're sick with the photographer they have 
you want to find the people who need you and then take care of them. They, in turn, will take care of you. So does cold calling work? Yes, it works quite well. But only if you can call a very large volume of numbers over a short period of time. Some summers, I'll hire a cold caller and I'll load up a list onto my Mojo account and I'll have one cold caller working full time for a few months, contact and follow up with the thousands of phone numbers that we have in our list. By the way, when I mentioned my Mojo account, you can find it at mojosells.com, M-O-J-O-S-E-L-L-S.com. That's not a paid promo, by the way. <laughs> it's just what I personally use. I buy the triple line dialer and I pay extra for call recording so I can review calls. It's a couple hundred dollars a month, but if I can get one or two photo shoots out of it per month, it more than pays for itself. Usually we get even more than that too. There are about 30,000 licensed real estate agents in my home state of Massachusetts. Not all of them are active, so it helps for me to use another program called Broker Metrics, which is supposed to be a broker recording tool, by the way. I guess I kind of am recruiting in a way. Anyway, a 40 hour a week cold caller will get me two to three new leads a week. And when I say leads, I mean a very strong prospect for a new client. And some of them actually do end up working with us. <laughs> it's worth it as a long-term marketing strategy since most new clients become permanent after the first photo shoot with us. So the lifetime value of one new client offsets the initial investment with a dialer and paying someone to run it. But building your business by cold calling agents directly is a grind. That's all it's ever going to be, a grind. The reason why I'm hiring other people to do it is because I personally can't stomach the FUs you get all day. You can call 200 numbers and get 199 people in a row who tell you to go F off. But it might be that 200th number that turns into a good lead. This means that you have to keep up the same chipper energy with every single call like it was your first one of the day, even after you've had people threaten you and swear at you just for ringing their phone. <laughs> All right, look, it's not always as bad as that, but you will bump into those phone numbers that don't have a human being on the other end, but some kind of horrible monster who wants to destroy your self-esteem and make you regret you ever had the audacity to look for business. It's rare, but that one in, let's say, a thousand calls kind of gets to me. So I rely on personalities that seem to be much more resilient to that specific type of abuse. So I wish all the best of luck to you when you're hitting the phones. Remember to pay close attention to the objections that you're getting. Write them down and write out what you think would be the best response after the fact. You can use the words that I've given you here or your own variation, and you can and will get new clients by cold calling. The trick is just hanging in there and calling as many people as you can per dialing session. So don't worry about those people saying, no, thanks, we got someone else. Offer them a promotional price, move on to the next call. You want to call as many people as you possibly can because you want to find those agents that are ready and willing to work with you, or at least to give you a chance. Don't focus too much on the people who won't. Dealing with them is all a part of the cold calling game. A better approach is to focus on larger groups. So here are some examples of what I have done in this past year to prospect for new business during the pandemic. With most offices closing and not allowing large groups of in-person meetings, the real estate offices are meeting online. Zoom, Google Hangouts, whatever. Just because you aren't standing in the office IRL, it doesn't mean that you cannot present to the entire office. Follow the steps I've outlined in previous episodes for setting up appointments and building your portfolio and your presentation then just do it online. Office admins and brokers are still looking for training material now more than ever. Brokers make their money by bringing productive real estate agents into their company and keeping them. Therefore, brokers are highly incentivized to provide quality training and third-party providers like real estate photographers for their agents to help increase retention. Real estate agents can be fickle, and the brokers know this. 
you want to network with those decision makers who choose who gets to present what on the webinars, and you can get in front of the whole office to share the good news about your business. These webinars are sometimes even recorded for agents who couldn't tune into the live show so they can review it for later. That being the case, you might also want to ask for a copy of the recording to use yourself in later marketing pieces with other brokers to say, hey, see what your competition is doing? They've got photographers presenting and showing them how to make their listings look better. And by the way, this is also proof that I can do such a presentation for your people. It's also good to get the recording to review your presentation and be a little critical about the things you're showing. Even the words you choose and how you say them can impact someone's decision of, let's hire this photographer or not. Listen to the feedback you're getting, if any. Notice whether the audience is paying attention or if most of them start to look bored at certain points. And you will know what things are and aren't working in your presentation. Yeah, this is going to be work, uh, but are you running a business or not? It's all work. Eventually, you'll be so good at presenting your business, you won't need to prepare pretty much at all. But until you get to the point where you feel super confident about it, it's a very good practice to review and be a little critical of yourself so you can improve. And the pandemic moving most of these office meetings online creates a great opportunity for you to do that. Now, here's another idea for you. Along the same lines as the office presentation, you can also jump in on webinars with current or future clients. Some realtors are recording webinars and inviting clients to them. I even did one of these early in the pandemic where the real estate agents were asking me questions like, what kind of PPE do we use, if any? And what other special things are we doing to mitigate the spread of the plague? Collaborating with clients is a great way to reinforce your value to them, as well as to legitimize yourself as the expert in your area. I don't know if you guys can see this, but I had air quotes around the, in the expert in your area. When you put yourself out there and prospective clients recognize you as someone who is professional, well-prepared, does great work, has fair prices, and who is super conscious of people's concerns during the COVID-19 pandemic, you will be like a shining star in an otherwise dark and gloomy night sky. This collaboration starts with reaching out to clients and asking them if they'd be interested in doing this. If you wanna sit and wait for opportunities to come knocking, you will be waiting a long time. If you go out and create these opportunities for yourself, it will pay off. Because remember that we must make up our mind to go boldly through our obstacles, right? In addition to collaboration with brokers and agents, how about hosting your own webinar? You can show your work. You can talk about how you help real estate agents sell houses faster for more money. And you can show them how you plan to keep them safe while you do it. Post it on social media. Post it on YouTube. Share it to all your clients and ask them to share it with any of their homeowners that might have shown concern about letting a photographer into their home. You will create another resource for your clients to use when talking to their sellers, and you can use this as an additional marketing piece when talking to agents. You can tell them that you've created all this material for them to use with their clients to help them secure the listing. If you can help a real estate agent differentiate themselves from their competition, which are the other real estate agents in their own office and in the community, and perhaps even make certain conversations easier for them, they will thank you. And how will you receive their thanks? With their money as they start booking new appointments. Okay, let's address those referrals. New clients will always be referred in if your current clients are happy. But we don't just want them to be happy anymore. It's not enough during these trying times. We want your clients to become advocates. Tell your clients the situation. Be transparent. You can say that you deeply appreciate referral business and that your business is slowing down. You want more clients to fill in the gaps in your schedule. You can tell them that if they know anyone who needs a photographer, you would be so happy and grateful to have them either point you out directly 
or share some contact information. If you just sit there and wait for the referrals to come in, they will. But if your business is not making as much as you want it to, it's time to get proactive. We love it when the money just flies into our bank accounts, but passively waiting should never be your primary tactic for getting new business. You can maximize referrals by asking for referrals. You must be polite and professional about it. Don't run around putting awkward pressure on people. You want to provide the most amazing customer service and quality of work that you can provide. You want your clients to be very happy with your work and then ask them for referrals. If they like you and think you can do a good job, most of them will gladly bring your name up with other agents. You can even ask them if their office does webinars and if not, offer to run their first one. This also means that it's time to step up your game. Pay close attention to detail. Make your client's experience in working with you as good as you can possibly make it. Don't let a down economy or insecurities in your business cause you to let your standards slip. When times are tough, that's your opportunity to excel. These challenges are opportunities. When your business is struggling, it's an opportunity for you to go out and turn it all around. You can keep doing the same old thing and let your business wither and die, or you can go out and chase that money. You choose. It's your business, and getting new clients is your responsibility. Ask yourself, am I willing to do what it takes to succeed? What I want you to say is yes. I am willing to pay the price. And then I want you to go out and do it. Prospecting for new business can be really difficult or it can be the easiest part of what you do. It all depends on your personality, your work ethic, and how you approach the problem. No matter what you decide to do, don't forget to back up your decisions with action. Money is made, not wished for. Tim, thanks so much for your question. I hope this helps. Let's change the subject now. I've got another question that I'd like to bring up. This was from Taylor over in Indiana. Taylor writes, quote, Hello, I came across your podcast and would just like to start by saying thank you for taking the time to share this knowledge. As a student photographer that has been trying to start their own photography business, it has been very difficult and knowledge on the business side seems to be almost trapped in people. Oh, nice one, Taylor. <laughs> Is the knowledge trapped or hidden? I suppose it depends on the intention, right? But I digress. Taylor continues, quote, Anyway, I'm planning on officially starting a photography business. I do senior portraits and sell prints and have done it for three years so far. My goal is to make it a lasting company that stays on my campus with hired employees that I oversee after I graduate and follow other paths in life. Do you have any advice on hiring other student photographers? I think it would be best to pay them hourly instead of payroll, but then how would one go about making a fair compensation for the student? I am considering on making videos that go over how I edit, which would be part of the training the employee would go through. How do you decide when it's worth to create some sort of NDA in the employee agreement where they can't just take my filters and use them for themselves? I am also concerned that if I train people as an apprentice, they would just go ahead and start their own photography company on campus. Also, do you have any advice on where I should register this business? I'm not sure if I should do my home state of Illinois or in the state where the school is, Indiana. How would you go about deciding what state to register it in? Ideally, if you have the time to do a 10 to 15 minute phone call with me, that may be more efficient and ultimately a better use of both of our times. Looking forward to hearing back from you and thank you for taking the time to read this, end quote. Taylor, thanks so much for your message. We'll chat offline about the phone call and scheduling that. But I'm glad that you're already in the photography business. And when it comes to hiring students, I'd try and hire them as interns and pay the bare minimum that you can pay. This will increase your profitability and ensure longevity in your business if you can keep sales up. If you need to find what rates to pay or how to set that up, simply look around in your community. Contact other photography businesses who have staff and perhaps interns. Strike up a friendly conversation about how you're breaking into the business and wanted to know if they wouldn't mind sharing some information. 
And if you keep getting stonewalled, you could always resort to Google, search for intern salaries in Indiana, and start your research from there. But you would want to refer to your local state regulations governing employment laws. More importantly, though, you want to focus on the individual who you may be hiring. You will want to pay the most attention to their attitude and their personality. You want to have staff that is easily trainable and manageable. You want to have staff that makes you look good when they go out and interact with clients and who can also think on their feet and make quick decisions to deal with unexpected circumstances. This can usually be flushed out over a couple of interviews if you're a good judge of character. If you are not a good judge of character, then you should focus on getting better at that first. For registering the business, all of that should be focused on where the business is taking place. It's less complicated that way. And if you move back home, you can try to re-register with the new state or dissolve the old entity and make a new one where you go. I wouldn't put much more thought into this past the point of what is absolutely practical and necessary for you to get started working right away. To address your other concern, and what I think is probably the most important question on this list, what do you do about employees competing against you? I understand this fear, and I used to feel that myself as well, but once you learn a few things about human nature, this problem becomes easy to deal with. Okay, why am I talking about human nature? Because there are important lessons that you can learn from observing our society at large that, when reverse engineered, you can apply to your own business. Specifically, this is helpful when you're thinking about hiring someone, but don't like the risk of training and supporting your future competition. Let's first look at the worst case scenario. You have a new photographer who learns the ins and outs of the business and who goes out on photo shoots, practicing and getting better at it until they feel so confident in themselves, they decide that the best way to thank you for the money and training you've given them is to break out on their own and potentially take a number of your own clients with them. It seems almost inevitable, right? You hire an employee, they see how much more money they can make if they went out on their own, and of course they'd give it a try, wouldn't they? Well, not really. <laughs> you might think like that because you are an entrepreneur and that is what you would likely do yourself. However, most people don't want the responsibility or the headache of running a business for themselves. I mean, there's plenty of entrepreneurs, you know, the people who have always wanted to start a business, who always talk about it, but who never actually take any physical actions to bring that desire into reality. But how many actual entrepreneurs are there in your community relative to the general population? The percentage is going to be small, very small. So right off the bat, you don't have to fear every person with a pulse and a camera in hand as potential competition. Most of them won't ever even bother going into business for themselves, even if they have the knowledge, the equipment, and the time to do so. Now, for that small group who may actually have enough ambition and drive to take your training and leave to compete against you, there is a method for almost guaranteeing that they won't be able to compete against you, and the very few who try would be at a serious disadvantage. The idea behind this principle I'm going to talk about is based on alienation. Alienation, as defined by the Oxford Languages Dictionary, is, quote, the state or experience of being isolated from a group or an activity to which one should belong or in which one should be involved, end quote. What we are talking about is the practical application of an abstract idea to achieve a specific and predictable result in your business. Alienation, when the laborer is alienated from their labor, the laborer loses perspective. If you're afraid of staff competing with you, alienate the staff from key business infrastructure. The earlier example I gave with the staff photographer learning the ins and out of your business, alienate staff from the ins and outs. Don't let them learn about it. Don't even let them see how the business works. Make it a mystery to them. If you have a photographer, only teach them how to take photos and work the camera. And in this case, work with your portrait clients. Don't teach editing. 
Don't teach the fundamental photography principles on which your shooting style is based on. Don't let them learn how you find clients, invoice them, deal with customer service issues, nothing at all. Completely insulate your staff photographers from every part of the business except the one little sliver of information that directly covers their standards for performance. This alienation means that you simply cannot have a business partner in that capacity or a photographer that helps with anything at all except taking pictures and sending you the raw files. Then all you need to do is hire an editor. I recommend an overseas editor to keep costs down. And if you also need administrative help, hire an admin. You as the entrepreneur are capable of running every facet of your business yourself, but your staff are going to be a part of an assembly line with blinders on. Only let them see their part of the assembly line, nothing before or after. It means that you will need to hire a couple people to replace just one of you, but it almost guarantees that if any cog in your money-making machine wants to spring forth and strike out on their own, they will only understand one small piece of the business. That person would then have to teach themselves everything else from scratch. And this will deeply disincentivize all but the most ambitious and motivated of individuals. Alienation works. Why do you think big businesses create such a minute division of labor among the employees? They don't want jacks of all trades. They want people specifically and highly trained in one discipline and one discipline alone. They want automatons to make their money printing machine operate smoothly, efficiently, and mysteriously. <laughs> it's all by design and you can utilize this strategy in your business too. It's Machiavellian, yes, <laughs> but so is the jealous desire to keep employees as employees and not let them break out on their own. Actually, this reminds me of a meme I once saw. I don't think I've ever mentioned this before on the show, but I love clever memes. I screenshot everyone I see on my social media that makes me laugh so I can save it for later. The one that I'm reminded of right now was a simple dialogue. It was between two executives. One executive asked the CEO, what happens if we invest in developing our people and they leave us? The CEO replies, what happens if we don't and they stay? I'll let you guys ponder on it and decide what you want to do with that information. Taylor, thank you so much for your questions. I hope my answers are what you needed to get started. Now let's go through one more question. This was sent in from another Tom. He writes, Hi, Tom. I find your podcast extremely helpful. With my business all but dead due to COVID and the slow death of print, I've been practicing my interior photography skills to get into shooting for realtors. I shot a little for the local ASID years ago, as well as some interiors for friends and client businesses and really enjoyed it, but never pursued it. I answered an ad for an out-of-state real estate photography company looking to hire 1099 contractor photographers in my area, and they offered me some work. Unfortunately, the contract they wanted me to sign had a two-year non-compete that was very vague about what they considered clients or potential clients, and I just couldn't sign it. I totally understand them wanting to protect themselves. I've been burned in the past by assistants and reps going around behind my back, but two years seemed a bit extreme, not to mention the fact that I wouldn't even be an actual employee. Anyhow, what's your take on working for these large multi-state photography companies? I've been self-employed most of my life, but I feel I need some real life experience before striking out on my own in real estate photography. And this seemed like the quickest way. The pay would suck, but I would gain some real life knowledge. Also, could you do a podcast going over some of the questions besides basics like prices and scheduling that might come up when doing a presentation to realtors? I am nervous about looking like a fool if they come up with industry terms or questions that I can't answer. Thanks, Tom Carson, www.tomcarsonphoto.com. Tom, thanks so much for your questions. Now, what I'm hearing in your message is that you've got a lot of insecurities about getting your real estate photography business off the ground, and I think I can help with that. For starters, I completely understand your desire to work for another company to get some training. 
I can also understand why these companies would want to make vague agreements that they could threaten to use against you if you sign up with them. In the last question we just answered, we were talking about the business owner's perspective with regards to hiring and training staff, but now we're gonna take a look on the other side of that equation. This is no secret. As a business owner, you are highly incentivized to do everything in your power to keep employees working and making money for you and to prevent them from taking your hard-earned training and experience to go out and compete against you. As a budding or a current entrepreneur, this can be problematic if you, like any reasonable person would, want to get some hands-on experience on someone else's dime until you build up your confidence. It's perfectly reasonable to want to do this. The problem that you perceived when you were about to start with this other company was with the vague and restrictive non-compete agreement. Now, I'm no attorney, so please consult one in whatever state that you're doing business in to get the final word. But from what I hear, non-competes are practically unenforceable. And in my own personal experiences, when a judge reviews a vague contract that is not explicitly clear about its own terms, he tends to frown quite a bit as he reads. And it does not bode well for the person trying to enforce the terms of that agreement at all. If I were in this situation, I'd take the non-compete agreement and give an attorney a few hundred dollars to read it and go over it with you, as well as go over your local state laws that would hold precedence in this case. If the attorney says it's unenforceable, sign away. Who cares what it says if it's guaranteed to be thrown out of the court? If it is enforceable and you would be subject to fines or legal sanctions, then it's time to think and make a decision. How important is that hands-on experience for you? Would you be willing to put in the time to master your skills while you work for someone else for you know two years, three years, whatever, if it meant that you would be prepared after the contract expires to go out and make some real money? If it is enforceable, and if you don't want to wait that long, all you need to do then is follow the path I've already laid out for you in earlier episodes of this podcast. Build a portfolio, prospect for new clients, get appointments, and then repeat. This all hinges on an attorney's opinion, and when it comes to signing a contract that could potentially determine the next few years of your financial and business future or beyond, I would always get an attorney's opinion. Sign those contracts without proper legal counsel at your own peril. <laughs> Regarding realtors' questions during presentations, if you present yourself as a real estate photographer, they're going to limit their questions to real estate photography usually. You might get some weirdo in the room that asks a rude or personal question for no reason at all, but to those people, you can ignore them, laugh them off, or what I do in my case, I'll directly address them and ask them to stay on topic until the end of the presentation. That's so rare though, you don't really even need to prepare for it more than knowing that you plan on redirecting attention to the topic at hand. Questions you will get will be about the services you offer and those basics like you mentioned. You'll sometimes get questions about your late cancellation policy, your turnaround time from taking the photo to delivery. You will probably get questions about the support or other ancillary services you offer, like uploading photos to MLS for those tech-challenged clients. I wouldn't be too worried about being asked with questions with industry terms, whatever that means. If you are speaking in public and someone uses a word or phrase that you don't understand, just pause and ask them what it means. If you pretend like you know everything and then answer the question without actually answering the question because you don't know what the heck these people are talking about, then you will look like an idiot. Idiots don't ask questions and then they pretend to know things. Smart entrepreneurs know that they can ask as many questions as they need to until they have a functional understanding of the subject matter. It's easy. Someone says something that you don't understand, just say, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that term. What does it mean? Or you could use the opportunity to inject some personality into the situation, crack a joke about not knowing anything but cameras and photography. You can be creative, you can be direct, 
but never be self-conscious about not knowing something. It's just so easy to ask. At the end of the day, the only things that a real estate agent cares about when they're looking at a real estate photographer are, in descending order, prices, quality of your work, and the ease or convenience in working with you. That's it. As long as they feel like they're getting a good value and that you're pleasant to work with, they will be happy. Do you have to know housing law? No. Do you have to know about mortgages? No. Do you have to know about all the property ownership types, what a short sale is, what riparian rights are, or any of the jargon? No. All you need to know is how to provide high quality real estate marketing material at a good price. That's what the agents you talk to are going to be interested in. So expect the questions to focus on that. If you're already a real estate photographer with a portfolio to show, then I'd wager that you're already prepared to answer 99% of all the questions you will ever get. Then, of course, if you find yourself in a moment where your mind is blanking out or you hear someone ask something with a word that you have never heard before, just say so. They'll tell you. Real estate agents who might be interested in hiring you will have zero interest in traumatizing you or booing you like you're a bad comic bombing on stage. If you're a photographer offering photography, there's no need to worry about all the other things a real estate agent has to do or that they might have on their minds. That's for them to worry about. You as the photographer are providing photography. That's all you get to focus on. Tom, thanks so much for your question. I really appreciate it. I hope that I've given you a satisfying answer and that you'll feel more confident so you can go out there and start building your business. Okay, that's the end of the episode. I've got some more things to cover before officially ending this recording. Just a few updates. For following episodes, I don't think I'm even going to pretend that I'll keep up a weekly recording schedule. I want to break topics down and go as deep as I can to help not just deliver information, but proper understanding. I will continue to publish episodes, but instead of the 30 to 40 quick ones of marginal interest, I'd rather make less, but with a higher quality of information. I have so many notes for more episodes and I'm working on scripting them out for you. So you, yes, you, the listener, can help make this podcast better. Share your feedback. I do get a lot of emails, so I cannot guarantee any kind of response time, but I do read all of them. Share your feedback on how I could make this podcast better, and please send in your questions so I can answer them on an upcoming episode. And help not just you, but hundreds more aspiring real estate photographers who are likely experiencing the same or similar kinds of issues. So there's two ways of reaching out to me. You can send me a message on Instagram at Tom Vargeletis, T-O-M-V-A-R-G-E-L-E-T-I-S. Or you can send me an email. It's Tom at F-T-R-E-Photo.com. And I'll also add my contact in the show notes for you. Now, if you are enjoying the podcast, but you'd like to have a little more, there is the full-time real estate photographer book. You can find it linked in the show notes, or you can go directly to Amazon. The full-time real estate photographer book is your A to Z guide from getting started in the real estate photography business all the way through building your presentation, your portfolio, getting your clients, and executing. And then I get into even more advanced stuff later on in the book for when your business grows and you need to hire help or implement more sophisticated logistic or software systems to manage your business. If you order the book through me personally, meaning send me a direct message or an email asking to buy the book, I'll even write out a little note on the cover and sign it for you as a special thank you since Amazon's royalty splits are absolute garbage. But if you don't mind Amazon taking 50% of sales, you go ahead and order on Amazon. And if you do choose to order on Amazon, please leave a review. I personally want to see nothing but five-star reviews on all of my books, but leave your honest-to-goodness thoughts on the content. It really does help other people make a purchasing decision. That said, leave a review on the podcast. The more positive reviews we build up over time, the more people will find and be able to decide if it's worth taking a listen or not. If this information is helping you, it will probably help someone else, so let them know that it can help them. Lastly, if you don't think the book is going to cut it, 
I do have a premium option. <laughs> I offer personal business coaching. It is not cheap and it is not for early beginners. But if you're looking to have regular one-on-one -on -one time with me, like on a weekly basis, reach out. We can schedule a call to discuss the details. If I get enough emails or direct messages about the crowdfunding thing I mentioned earlier, I would even consider offering a much lower cost group coaching call where instead of a one-on-one -on -one session, if 10 or 20 people wanted to all jump together on a Zoom call to make our own full-time real estate photographer mastermind group, I'll be happy to do it. But like I said in the very beginning, I'm only going to offer it if I have enough people reaching out and asking for it. So if this idea interests you, don't keep it to yourself. All right, guys, I am so excited to connect with you in future episodes and who knows, perhaps even in person to help you grow your real estate photography business. So thank you for listening.